Listener Production. Hello, Tom Tilly with you for The Briefing. In this episode, how do you take advantage of the jobs boom? Unemployment is at the lowest level in 50 years at just 3.5%. So how do you work that in your favour, whether it's a pay rise or better conditions? It should actually be a logical conversation to, to say to your manager, I've performed above and beyond and I think I'm due a pay rise. Here is some research that I've done to show that I'm underpaid in my current role, would you consider giving me a pay increase? Oh yeah, that's how you do it. We're going to give you some good tips on getting a better deal at work, how to make that tight job market work for you. That is our briefing. First, Rhiannon Patrick is here for today's headlines. It's Thursday, August 4. The Greens will support Labor's climate bill, which is set to pass the House of Reps today and then the Senate in September now that the Greens have declared they'll support it. And when the bill comes before the Senate, we will vote for it there as well. So there it is, the Greens leader, Adam Bant. So this bill will legislate the carbon emission targets of 43% by 2030. So the support for this legislation from the Greens wasn't guaranteed and they had been using this discussion to try and push a position of no more coal and gas projects. And so they have lost the battle on that one this time, but they're declaring the war on that front isn't over. There's more to come on this and we are not going to give up. Uh, We are fighting some very vested interests, some powerful interests here. We're not just pushing the government. Yeah, the Greens will now push to shut down future coal and gas projects by amending the safeguard mechanism. And that mechanism is set to penalise big polluting companies that go over a carbon emissions threshold. Yeah, and the reason this whole thing is a big deal is because it was back in 2009 where the Greens blocked uh, Labor's carbon reduction legislation at the time that led to a lot of the argy-bargy that delayed a strong climate position um, in Australia for all of those years. So finally, they seem to be getting on with the job. Some good news for the Great Barrier Reef. Coral coverage across the northern and central parts of the reef is now at its highest level in 36 years since records began. Yeah, so according to the latest Institute of Marine Science report, coverage in the north has grown from 27% last year to 36% this year and 26 up to 33% in the central region. Although when you drill into the detail, that's mostly because of a fast-growing branching coral called Acropora, which scientists worry will reduce the reef's diversity. Yeah, and those results come after four mass coral bleaching events in the last seven years, and there are no records of mass bleaching before 1998. Yeah, and the southern section of the reef, we were talking about the northern and central sections before, the southern section has gone backwards 3%. One of the USA's most conservative states has just voted for the right to abortion. Kansas held a referendum that would have added language to the state's constitution saying that it did not grant the right to abortion. Yeah, but with most of the vote counted, about 20% more people have chosen to keep the right to abortion. Uh, The US President Joe Biden has weighed in with a statement and says, the vote makes clear what we know. The majority of Americans agree that women should have access to abortion and should have the right to make their own health care decisions. Yeah, and that ballot is the first major test of voter sentiment since the US Supreme Court ruled to overturn the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision. Yeah, and a number of other states are going to hold similar ballots in coming months, uh, including Kentucky, Vermont 
and Michigan. So this is getting quite interesting, Rihanna. You know, people were very worried that the Supreme Court was handing back the right to abortion back to the states. I remember thinking at the time, well, it's up to those states then to provide that right to abortion. So really interesting to hear that a a more conservative state um, still has enough voters that want this right to abortion to maintain that right. And Australia is continuing to dominate at the Commonwealth Games with 111 medals, 42 of those are gold. And there's some big events on this morning, our time, so they may have already been won by Aussie athletes, depending what time you're listening to this podcast. So Ariane Titmus is in the 400 metres freestyle final as the swimming wraps up. Sprinter Rowan Browning, um, famous for his mullet, um, he's in the final of the 100 <laughs> metres, becoming the first Aussie male to make the final in 12 years. So that's pretty huge. And Peter Bowl is into the final of the 800 metre race after smashing last night's heat. Meanwhile, athletes from Sri Lanka have been forced to hand in their passports after two of their athletes went missing. And their country is currently in the grip of a severe economic crisis. And it's been confirmed that space junk discovered on a sheep farm in the Snow Mountains is from one of Elon Musk's rockets. Ah, Tom, look, three pieces of debris have been found in the snowies in the last week and the Australian Space Agency has now confirmed that they fell to Earth from a SpaceX rocket. Yeah, so locals reported a loud boom on July 9 and then in the following weeks, farmers started finding debris in their paddocks. And so what are they going to do with that debris? Well... Apparently, it has to be returned to the US and the farmers have been told not to touch it. I guess that's um, international space law at work, Rihanna? Yeah, I reckon so, Tom. But I'm surprised that no sheep were harmed in the falling of this space junk because it is quite big. Or skiers. It's a busy time down there in the snow mountains. Very true. Well, let's hope it hasn't damaged the Kosciuszko National Park. All right, we'll catch you tomorrow in the headlines, Rihanna. Uh, Antoinette Latouf is about to take you on a guide to getting a better deal at work. First, there was the great resignation. Now there's quiet quitting. Because of super low unemployment, the ball is now well and truly in the employee's court. And according to ABS, there's one unemployed person per vacant job. And before the pandemic hit, it was three times that number. And job websites are even saying they've never had so many vacancy ads ever. So how can employees leverage this? And can the pendulum swing too far one way? Ruth Berrin is a careers coach at Blue Sky and has been helping guide people's careers for years. So Ruth, in your experience as a careers coach, have you ever seen it tipped so heavily in favour of employees before? I've been working as a career coach for about five years and two years of that, I guess, was COVID. And very much during COVID, it was the other way. Um, So no, I haven't seen it this strong um, in terms of an employee market. So I'm keen to know where the big gaps are in in this market at the moment. Is it both blue-collar and white-collar jobs that have a lot of vacancies? There are a lot of vacancies in a range of jobs. Hospitality and tourism, of course. Um, We're seeing 
big growth. Anecdotally, I'm hearing about people coming into the home and minding children, cleaners, all those sorts of roles as well. But of course, in the medical profession, there are also um, vacancies, many vacancies being advertised. And I guess that's where we're getting a lot of our data from, uh, the job ads, which earlier in the year were the highest they'd ever been on places like SEEK. It's predicted by the National Skills Commission that we're going to have also um, jobs available in sort of scientific and technical services, but also education and training. We're hearing a lot about teachers um, being in demand. I think if that's something that interests you, then it's well worth looking into. So you've listed a whole lot, a range of industries, lots of service industry work, teachers, the medical profession. What about office jobs? There are lots of vacancies uh, within office jobs, but not as high as some of those other professions that I've been talking about. And so we've heard lots about the Great Resignation, but there's now talk about quiet quitting, thanks to TikTok. What do you know about quiet quitting? This is interesting. It's an interesting phenomenon where people are actually just pulling back from the duties that they are being asked to do. So, you know, if it's not in their role description, they're not doing it. If they're asked to do um, answer emails, you know, out of hours, they'll, they'll push back. In many ways, I think we've probably known about this phenomenon. It's basically just putting up healthy boundaries uh, between you and your work. The problem, I think, though, is that a lot of people are burnt out. They've simply been working mm. incredibly hard during COVID and lockdowns, and they're at a point now where they're, they're just pushing back. But there's a few things to think about in relation to that. If you are considering this role and you're considering you know, moving up in the ranks in that organisation, Pushing back or putting boundaries might not be the best strategy. It might actually be that talking to your manager is a better strategy to work out how you can put forward a bit of a, a promotion sort of um, discussion. Um, but if you really are burnt out and it's the job that's the issue, then maybe mm. it's not quite quitting. Maybe it's actually considering about um, looking around, having an exit strategy, because quiet quitting is actually a sign, I think, for some people that they're not enjoying their job and it perhaps is time to look around. But don't just quit, you know, actually have an exit plan and do some networking, see what's out there and maybe work out the next step in your career. So talking about that next step, if you're looking to either have a bit of a career switch or maybe even enter the jobs market after school or uni for the first time, what are some questions or things you ask your clients to consider? I think first off, a lot of people that come to me through Blue Sky are actually a little bit lost. They don't know what the right profession for them is. And there are a few steps you can take towards working out what your ideal next job is. And one of those that I really advise people to do is something called the informational interview, which is reaching out to people in your potentially preferred industry and actually becoming the interviewer, asking them questions about their career, how they got their advice on um, for you if you're just starting out or interested in that profession as the next step. And the benefit of doing an informational interview is that you can also 
broaden your network, which is another step that I suggest to people that they do um, speak to people within your network or outside. And while you're not asking for a job necessarily, it actually can lead to opportunities while also kind of working out what that job is that you're interested in. Okay, so for those who perhaps um, are already employed and maybe don't want to consider a, a job change but want to get the best out of their current role, do you have any tips on how to get the most out of your current gig? Obviously, like asking for a pay rise is one way, but there are other things that people can do to leverage their current position. Yeah, definitely. And I guess given the high sort of job vacancies or job ads that are being advertised at the moment, there are opportunities to negotiate with your employer. And it doesn't just have to be a pay rise. Something as simple as a change in your title could actually be quite a good thing to negotiate if your employer is um, adamant that they don't have an increase in pay available. Some other things you could negotiate for might be extra leave. It might be the ability to Mm. study. Some employers will pay for you to train. And it may also be things as simple as having a you day. You know, some employers will actually allow you to have a day off on your birthday, for example, if that makes a difference to you. And what you have to work out is what are the, the pay negotiation points? And it doesn't have to be about pay. What are the negotiation points that are actually going to make a difference to you? If it is about pay, and we know that women traditionally, and you know, the data shows it, um, are not necessarily great at asking for pay rises, especially those in casual or part-time roles. Do you have any pointers to empower women to take that step? It is actually quite hard to, I think, instill confidence in people. And that's one of the really key parts about, I think, negotiating pay. One of the things you can do is do your research. Actually find out what other people are being paid in the industry or even if you can in your organisation. We are very secretive about what other people get paid, but having that knowledge can actually give you a bit of confidence to, to say to an employer, actually, I should be being paid more than I actually am. It may also help to, for example, in that research, talk to recruiters. They often have that information. They have a feel for the market. There's also this idea of knowing what your worst case scenario is or your worst Mm. alternative to negotiation. If you are prepared to uh, walk away from that job, um, maybe you've got another job offer, it can sometimes be interesting to leverage that in your negotiations. So it it does come down to also your ability to, to take on risk. Like how confident would you be if the employer came back and said, well, actually, we can't pay you that. Um, What's your alternative? And if you can't actually give them a a reasonable one, then maybe um, it's not the right time to negotiate your pay. Obviously, if you can leverage another job offer um, Mm. or another avenue that can empower people. But for many, it'll just be, well, I like my job. I just think I'm Mm. underappreciated. I guess, do you have any any tips or ideas on how to then perhaps go and resume work and resume that relationship if it doesn't go the way you'd hoped? That's a really tricky situation. It can actually come up in performance reviews. And if the negotiation comes up within a performance review, it should actually be a logical conversation to, to say to your manager, I've performed above and beyond and I think I'm due a pay rise. Here is some research that I've done to show that I'm 
underpaid in my current role. Would you consider giving me a pay increase? And if they say no, then you have to actually work out, as I said before, what is your worst case? If the worst case Mm -hmm. is staying in that role and continuing on, then I think, you know, consider that when making your negotiation points. And for some people, um, because of the pandemic and burnout or lockdown PTSD, they've decided to have a career break, go overseas or just have a a reset and a rethink. Uh, Are gaps in CVs going to be like decent chunks of time in CVs going to be frowned upon when returning to work? Or is it, you know, have we, have we, I know we've moved on from expecting to be in the same role for several years. I'm just keen to get your thoughts there. What I'm seeing is that particularly in Australia, we are embracing more the career break. In fact, on LinkedIn, they now have an opportunity for you to title an experience as a career break. So long as you have a good career story, something that explains the career break, it is less likely Mm. to be frowned upon. And that could be a range of things. You know, it could be travel. It could be caring for a family member. um, It could be just the fact that you were in in many ways burnt out. I think work-life balance is now considered an alternative sort of option for a career break. So the thing that you should hopefully have ready is an explanation or a story to show why you've taken that. And sometimes travel, for instance, can be seen as a real positive. That was Ruth Barron, a careers coach at Blue Sky. I didn't know that LinkedIn had added that additional option to say that you're actually having a career break. I mean, I think that's a really interesting and important shift. Um, I know particularly mothers who took breaks from work or people who are unsure of what to do with themselves struggled to, to know how to make the years kind of add up on LinkedIn, which essentially is your public CV. But to Ruth's point, I think it's important to have a nice story. I mean, it can't just be that you're binging on, you know, streaming series back to back in your grandmother's basement. And I think it's a good sign that now we are acknowledging the importance of work-life balance and that people should have a reset. We no longer need to work in the same industry for 30 years and we can rediscover what we want to do with our life at multiple intervals. Thank you, Antoinette. Now, tomorrow on The Briefing, a big controversy in the world of golf. Listener.